your seats. The kids, you guys are dismissed to your classes, and you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 9 and 10. Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Well, at least one more. <laughs> yeah. I, as we were joking a little bit about how last week it would have been great to do the sermon because it was raining, a little snowy more raining this week than it was last week. But uh, we'll get to uh, even more water in a little bit in Genesis here. So let's pray and uh, ask God's blessing upon our time. Dearly Father, as we just proclaimed that you are stronger, you are better than any other, may that not just be things we say, but words we actually understand that, as the song went on to say, that if you are for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one, because you are the creator, you are the sustainer, you are the giver of all things, and you will have the glory. So when we look around, and at times it may seem that evil is winning, and that violence goes on without any stopping, and without any pausing, and it seems as if what is wrong is being accepted as is right. We do know that you are on your throne and you are working all things together for your glory. And one day, we will be with you in a new heaven and a new earth where sin will be no more and death will be destroyed. So we long for that day. But until that day, help us to be faithful to what you've called us to do each day. Until you either return and gather us to yourself or till you call us home. May you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. A proper foundation does more than just hold a house above the ground. If you're building a foundation, a foundation is important because it keeps out moisture. It isolates from the cold. It resists the movement of the earth around it. And a foundation should last. As uh, one of the uh, famous builders from this old house, Tom Silva, said about foundations... Without a good one, you're sunk. And I thought, well said. That is why the foundation that we're building, if you've ever built a foundation, you've ever done any construction work, one of the things you want to make sure is that your foundation is not only in the right place, but it's square. And that's why you measure the different corners and the angles to make sure that it's square. You want to make sure that it's plumb. You want to make sure that it's level. Because everything that comes afterwards is all built upon that foundation. If the foundation is bad, everything else will be cattywampus and the home is in danger of failing, or the shed, or whatever you're building. It's the same thing, too, when it even comes to the way we view the world. Because if your worldview is skewed in one way that is not biblical or is not true, which is biblical, you will be then skewed in every area of how you look at things. A proper worldview, a proper understanding is important. Because without that, nothing else makes sense. I want to give you just a little walk of where we're seeing this in our society right now before we hop into our, our study here, because I think this is important. I think these are foundational truths. And one of the foundational truths that we have talked about, I'm going to remind you again, is that there's two ways of looking at truth. There is one way when you look at truth, that truth is external, and we are seekers of the truth. Another way of looking at it is the truth is internal, and you need to discover your own truth. One is a biblical view of 
of truth. The other is not a biblical view of truth. The idea that truth is external, literally in who Christ is, I am truth, he says. Thy word is truth. He is the truth that all things come from. And so, if you look to Him for truth, you will know what true truth actually is. If you look inside of yourself, you'll be struggling. And the way this plays out, though, each one of us has been influenced by this. If you have been to any school of any sort, there are certain things that every single place communicates. And here are certain things that you have to understand when you're doing any type of education. You have to understand the role of the teacher. You have to understand the role of the student. Because if you don't understand the role of the teacher, you're not going to understand the role of the student. So let's play this out. There's two ways of looking at it. One, the teacher is to lead the student to truth. The teacher is to point the student to truth. That is more of a biblical understanding of teaching, that here is truth, and we're going to point to that truth. This truth is unchanging. It doesn't matter what the kid writes on the paper if it's not true, because the truth is external. This is what matters. But now we live in a day and age where there is no external truth. Truth is found with within. And so now the teacher is not someone who points the kid the truth. The teacher's role is for that kid to discover their own truth. And the teacher's job in the classroom is not to actually give any right or wrong. It's for the kid to determine what is right or wrong. And all the teacher is supposed to do is create an environment where the kid discovers his own truth. This sounds great and exciting until something happens called policy, where there's a standard that is then met. And this sounds great in some classes, but in other classes doesn't work. It does not work in your objective classes like math. The teacher in math is actually has to teach from a biblical worldview because 2 plus 2 is 4. It doesn't matter how the kid feels about it. It really doesn't even matter how the teacher feels about it because 2 plus 2 is Four. Now you get to some of your more uh, subjective classes where, sadly, those are sadly more in the arts. And as you start looking in the arts, then we can't make a dogmatic statement because why? Because we're just discoverers and the teacher really is doing nothing other than just going, here are all the something in life, figure it out. And so when we come to questions like how did this all come about, why did this all come about? Where are we going or where did it end? Depending on how you understand truth, one is saying, you just discover it yourself, and the other one is saying, no, there actually is an answer to all of that. It's very interesting that even Jesus, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, that great, phenomenal sermon, he ends with an example, and the example he ends with about two people that are going to go build. One builds on solid ground, and the other builds on sand. When the pressures of this world, whatever, however we want to argue about what is the storm that beats upon the two, one, I would even argue, let's just call it what it is. When the pressures of living in a sinful world beat against it, what's going to stand? The sand or the rock of God's Word? The rock of God's Word. That's why right now when we see all around in our culture is two different groups coming from two different lines of thinking, talking about things, you're going to get a massive clash of worldview because one says no, that there is an unchanging truth that does not change, and the other one's saying, yes, it does, it changed to your own personal whim. And it's funny right now, and you're seeing this all over the place, when all of a sudden you hold up words and definitions and one group runs from them and the other group says no, that words actually have meaning. And so what happens is this. 
We live in a day and age where all of these things are happening, that your own internal truth is what matters. And so what we do is we bow down at the altar of self-autonomy, saying, I get to determine for myself what I think it is, whatever my thing is. And so I have the right over this, I have the right over that, and who are you to tell me anything? And the struggle rages on. But here's what we're going to find out. We're going to start seeing it all throughout. There is nothing that has happened in this world that God has not ordained or decreed. So in order to understand anything that has happened after he has ordained and decreed, what must we do? Go back to the foundation to understand these things. Because what is happening in our culture all around us is we are ignoring the sheer truth that God is the creator and sustainer of all things and it's even seeped into our own thinking where we all want to say, I am the master of my own ship. I am the captain of my own soul. I don't want to bow down to the creator God. And so one of the things that we don't like to think about is God is creator because if he's a creator, then he then is the one who has the right over what he's created to tell them what to do. And it strikes right at our self-autonomy saying, I am the master of my own ship. And you're going to say, no, you are just a bunch of created dust that God breathed life into, and without him, you are absolutely nothing. And that is not a way to influence people and to gain friends, to tell them that they are nothing. But I would also say, but from that spot, you can then only understand who God is. So again, this is why chapters 1 through 3, that are going to give us some incredibly foundational truths, if these are not understood... If these are not understood in its fullness, you're going to then run into other issues later on that you're going to go, this sounds off, but I don't know why, and I'm going to go, it's because your foundation of what you believe and why you believe it is not solidly based on the Word of God. Because I would argue, I have them, I don't know them, they're blind spots to me. You have them that you don't know them, they're blind spots to you of areas that you are not conformed completely in your worldview of a biblical Christian worldview. We all have them, and the reason why we have them is because we live in a world that is shouting at us all of those things before. So now when I come to a text of Scripture, do I bring my truth into it, or do I let the Word of God actually speak? And this is the challenge in front of all of us, because we're going to get to even more foundational things, and you're going to say, Tim, we're only on day three. I'm going to say, I understand that. But if we don't get one, two, and three right, do you think we're going to get four, five, and six? Or keep going down the line, these things, and we need to take her time. You would expect your builder to not go, hey, I measured once, we're good to go. And you would go, I want him to measure twice. I want him to hold that level up to as many corners as he can, because we want the foundation right. So here we go. Title of the sermon is Day 3 of Creation. Um, next week's, spoiler alert, is going to be Day 4 of Creation. So Genesis 1, 9 through 10. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters were gathered together. He called sea, and God saw that it was good. We're going to see here, point number one, God creates land and sea. Again, what's the creation pattern? We're going to see over and over and over again. God says it and then it happens. The reason why when God says it, it happens because he is the one that has the power to do what he says he's going to do, which is totally different than you and I. I mean, I have said multiple things. I'm going to do this, but God knows. He directs my paths and there are times I'm not doing that because I've said it, but I don't have the power to do everything I've said I have the power to do. I don't have the power to do anything unless God would give me the ability and the strength to do it. 
Well, all that borrows life from him, as the hymn says, we're ever in his care. God here not only says what he's going to do and brings about what he's going to do, God is naming the places that he has formed. Again, notice the pattern. He is, not, he is creating by the word of his power, and then when he creates, because he is the sovereign creator of all things, he names them and tells them what they're going to be. We see, first of all, this land that now is coming out of the earth. And literally, what does he call it? Earth. This is where we get the word from, earth. Not only that, the bodies of water are created, and he calls those seas. Henry Morris, who is a creationist, writes, Great earth movements are underway. Surfaces of solid earth appeared above the water. An intricate network of channels and reservoirs open up into the crust and receive the waters retreating off the rising continent. I mean, think about this for a moment. Massive continents are now coming out of the water. Water is going underneath where it needs to go. There is water that is being left on top for ponds and streams and all these other things. And huge, massive upheaval is happening literally by the word of God's power. Land is moving, tectonic plates are shifting, all because God said, and let it be. It is so. I mean, you can almost hear the uproar of this, if you could even put it in. But this is a miracle beyond miracle. The power that which he did this is power that only God and God alone can have. And not only that, him creating these things, what do we see? The moment it is created, he sets boundaries on them. God set boundaries on the sea. If you've ever had any time to spend time around water at all, you know the power that water has. Moving water through things can carve holes into rocks, can go right down through concrete and cement. Water is, has incredible power. The only reason it has incredible power is because God, the all-powerful one, the one of all creation created it. And notice what he does to this raging water. Turn your Bibles with me to Jeremiah 5. In Jeremiah 5.22, and then we're going to go to Job here in a minute, but Jeremiah 5.22, as God is proclaiming judgment on the nation of Israel, as God is telling these people what's going to happen, in the middle of this he says, hear this, let's start in verse 21. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, you have eyes, but do not see. You have ears, but do not hear. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord, because these people are rebelling against God. Do you not tremble before me? And here's why they should fear. And here's the reason. He said, I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. Why? Because God Almighty has done this. And when you stand before the ocean and you see these waves cascading upon the shore, and what do they do? They retreat back. What should our response be? Do you not fear a God like this? Because if He can tell the sea... Here is where you're going to go and no further. What does that mean about you, O rebellious man? Over in Job 38. In Job chapter 38, again, remember where Job is being answered a question by the Lord. And in Job chapter 38, verses 10 and 11, speaking of the sea here, he says, It's prescribed its limits, for set its bars, and it says thus, Far you shall come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. 
God not only has created, but he tells his creation the boundary limits. Even when the storms crash and the waters overflow their boundary by the storms that God has allowed, even when the waters in a way go over, what do they do? They retreat back to where God has made them, where God has placed them. In one of the more famous hymns of the faith, it goes like this, Eternal Father, strong to save, whose arm does bound the restless wave, who bids the mighty ocean deep, its own appointed limits keep. What we see is God not only is the creator of the sea, the namer of the sea, but the one who has established its boundaries. Again, as we looked at this in the beginning, in Genesis 1, for those of you who are still looking for that maverick molecule that is moving apart from God's sovereign plan, I have not found it yet, and we'll keep looking for it, but it will not be there, because everything is doing what He has created it to do. So on day three, though, on day three here, we come to a turning point in the road, where we're going to move from creating and forming to now filling and sustaining. Now, creation is still going to happen, but it's going to happen slightly different. Now, what we have seen in the past are these areas that are being formed, the forming that's going on. Now we're going to see the filling and the sustaining power that is given. We'll talk more about that on day four. But here's a bigger picture, though, that I want you to think through. What we're starting to see here is starting to see a, a pattern and a plan that is going to go all the way through, all the way until Revelation. And this, you'll see it in point number two, is the idea of a cosmic temple. The idea of a cosmic temple, first of all, temp cosmic, meaning the world, and the temple concept that's going to be happening here. Because God is creating the framework of this cosmetic temple, I mean, not cosmetic, cosmic temple, that he will dwell with man. What is a temple a reminder of? A spot where man and God, the gods of this world would interact. And what are we seeing when God makes his temple? What does he do? Massive. Now we're going to get more pictures of this temple playing out, but we're going to start to see that God is creating a cosmic temple, a temple where the whole world is going to be worshiping God and what he has created. Because not only the tabernacle and the temple that we will see later in Exodus and all these other things are going to point to salvation, you're also going to see this pointing as well to the whole cosmic temple that God is creating as well, the way God created the world. Exodus 26 you don't need to turn there, but uh, just, just as detailed, Exodus 26 gives us a detailed account of the building of the tabernacle. How many goat skins needed to be put here or there? What are the lengths? What are the widths? What are the heights? Who, where are these things going? And it has incredibly intricate details about these things, because, and it has a lot of creation, back and forth going illustrations. Because God is very concerned with what he is doing. What we see here is even in the building of the tabernacle, we see the outside being formed, and then what does he do? He gives them the instructions to fill it. And then he even gives even more instructions, where even there'll be even a closer place inside this temple that will be the Holy of Holies, where God will even dwell intimately with his people. If you're not seeing Garden of Eden verbiage even in there, what do we have? The whole cosmic temple, but it was the Garden of Eden an even closer place where God will dwell with man. And we see this beautiful picture being played out. So exactly what God wants, He puts into place. It's interesting, 
What we're going to see here is this dry land appearing and water appearing. This is the exact right place for life to flourish. Now, I can't say this with being dogmatic, but I can say what we least know now is astronomers have studied and dug into every single place that they can see with their telescopes, and they continue to keep looking for Earth-like planets. Guess what they find? There's nothing even close. They get ones that are close within an Earth orbit of a star. They're like, that's possible, but it's missing this, or it's missing that, or it's missing all these other things. Earth is very unique. The spot is exactly right. Not a single planet like ours. So I want to go down through just to show you God's power and his understanding when he created the universe. Because you might say, boy, this sounds a little bit more like science. I'm going to say, remember, God is the God of all things. And when he does something, we can learn from everything he does. So our planet has the exact right ingredients. A planet needs liquid water, an energy source, and chemical building blocks like carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen for life. Without these, you do not have life. The earth has the right crust. Earth possesses a suitable dispersion of elements to ensure the core and the rock mantle to function exactly how they should. It has the right temperature. It is necessary for liquid water and the planetary temperatures to create life, allowing water to be in its different forms. It has the right moon. Our large moon ensures a climate that is stable and minimizing the planet tilt. If our planet was tilted one way or the other, we would be thrown into immense chaos. The moon gives us the tide that allows even animals to live in that tidal area that is there, that without the tide going in and out, we would not have it. The moon gives us seasons as we see the tilting of the earth and the rotation of it and the power that they have, that even in central Wisconsin, summer does, at least by God's grace, will come eventually. We have the right star. The sun provides earth. The sun provides the perfect energy for life on earth. When you go outside and you stand and you pause and as the sun hits you and you finally get what we've all been missing for many times, that vitamin D that God gives us through sunlight, then we just go, <sighs> I'll work. I'm spilling little beans for next week, but many times we go, oh, don't you love the sun? And I go, capital U or lower or small you, you know, like sun as in sun, or do we love the sun who gave us the sun? Not only that, do we, we have the right core, the earth's solid core and liquid and outer core, and what it does is gives us the perfect life from these deadly solar radiations that pound us from space and going on. And even, it was amazing this last week, for some of you who had a chance to see the northern lights, uh, we had the aurora borealis at our house. But for those of you who saw the northern lights, if you didn't get that, you need to know your space stuff better. But when the northern lights came and they came against the earth, what did we see? Beauty from that all. That even in the harshness of space, God has created a world where we get to go out at night and see the dancing colors of a beautiful world that He's created. Do we ever pause and we say, wow, that even from disaster, if you want to call it, these rays that would destroy the earth, what is God saying? I'm going to let you see beauty through that all. all right, so when you think your life is a disaster, <laughs> let's just give you, think of what God can do in, out of disaster create beauty through those things. Not only are we all of those things right, but the right place. 
in the solar system. Jupiter sheds, shields the Earth sorry, from a constant stellar bombardment. They say without Jupiter at the right spot, the Earth would have endured up to 10,000 times more asteroids and comets, and comet strikes than it ever would have. Because of the planets where God has placed around us, we're exactly where we need to be for life to be sustained and maintained. And our response to that is what a mighty God we serve. In one of his books, Paul Arkman, who wrote a book, It's a Young World After All, he says, let me put it blunt, evolutionists around the world have learned the hard way that evolution cannot stand up against creationism creationism in any fair and impartial debate. He goes on to say that evolutionists believe that regarding the origin and development of life cannot withstand scrutiny. And so... Many times we try to ignore that topic when we were to lay it out because sadly, the more we study this, the more they're starting to realize that the world is a whole lot more complicated. The whole world is a whole lot more intrinsic with its um, intricate, I mean, with all of its beauty. And so what is the only response when you say there is no God, we have to just spread it out and put in two causal agents, which are not causal agents at all, time and chance. Those are not causal agents. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, time does not cause anything to happen. Time just passes. All right? Chance does not cause anything to happen. All right? So to help you out, if you are single and you're saying time plus chance, maybe I will find that person. No, you actually have to do something. There has to be a causal response to that. So to delay the creation of the world and to spread it out, the Bible is pretty clear that is not what happened. Turn with me real quick to Job 26. And in Job 26, I want you to listen to what God's Word says. Job 26, 7 through 14. Speaking of God, he stretched out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the clouds is not spilt upon under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads it over with his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between the light and darkness. The pillars of the heaven tremble, and they are astonished at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. That's a mythical beast. By his winds, the heavens were made fair by his hand, piercing the fleeting serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand it? Literally, what it is saying here is when we look at the world around us, these are but the mere outskirts of his ways. We would call it, if you were to draw a circle, these are just but the, the mere pencil shavings on the outside of the circle of who God really is and how much we have yet to even understand who he is. So with all that being said, what we have in front of us now, the stage is set. The world is created exactly where it needed to be created, and the stage is set for life to begin. That is why on day four, five, and six, when life comes about, it comes and it flourishes immediately, because God has done the work to establish and set up life. We live in a world that has been created for the pur- purpose of supporting and maintaining life. Think through that for a moment. We live in a world that has been created for the purpose of supporting and maintaining life because God, everything God does is perfect. Everything that God does is perfect and completely wise and is the fittest means to accomplish what He has decreed. 
I want to just take a moment here because at times we can read these things, we can look around and we can see what's going on around us. And at times, if we're not careful, we can become very shaken to the core because of some, I would say, poorly crafted arguments that because we don't understand just sheer fact and logic can cause us to question things that if we were just to look around and understand that God, the God of logic, would give us that we would not be shaken to the core. But I would argue when you understand what we're about ready to go through, if you're not shaken to the core in a different way, there's also something wrong here. So let me walk through this. These are some arguments that Sproul put together, but I've heard him so many times, I don't know where my thinking and his thinking has meshed. So I'm just going to say R.C. Sproul said this, and you can quote whatever you want on that. So here's a couple of things as you walk down through just logic. All right, I'll help you walk through this. Because many times in the Christian faith, people say, oh, you're just a person of faith, and then you have the person of logic over here, and as if a person of faith doesn't understand logic, all right? As if logic is on the side of the non-believer, and just faith is on the side of the believer, and you just have no understanding. So let me explain something to you. Someone says, how do you know that there is a God? And the answer to that is, it's as easy as the stuff right in front of you. You look at this table, you look at this, and it says that there is a God, and they go, how does that happen? All right, well, let me work through just some basic logical steps. For every effect, there had to be a cause. So you look at this table. This table had to come from somewhere. If there was ever a time that there was nothing, this table would not be here. The sheer fact that there's a table here screams that there's a God. So let's keep working through this. This table is an effect of something. There was a cause that brought this table into existence. So we had to at least get a tree. Where the tree come from? And you can keep going back, right? Until you get, you keep working that all the way back until you have to get to an initial cause that gave us everything we have now. And so if we have something now, in order than nothing now, if we have something now, there are only four logical answers to why we have something now rather than nothing. Number one, and you might see this in your notes, that there is something, that something actually came from nothing. And the answer why that falls on itself, if ever there was a time that there was no thing, and we've walked through this all the time, if there was a time that there was no thing, what would there be now? No thing. You don't get something from no thing, right? Because something is something. But if you have nothing, you don't go from nothing to something. That by itself is a logical fallacy, all right? It does not happen. All right, well, now you may get to some people that say, no, 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 no. Actually, the reason why we have stuff now is all an illusion, all right, this is just a figment of all of our imaginations. Well, if that's the case, then there is literally no meaningful statement that that person can even make because they don't even know if what they're seeing is an illusion or if they are even illusion. This one time an individual who believed that everything was an illusion asked a, a Christian apologetic guy, he said to this person, the, the student said, how do I know that I even exist? What if it's all an illusion? And the individual responded back, can you please let me know who's asking the question? Because when the person said, I am asking the question, by just saying, I'm asking, was proving their own existence. And so even in that, you're going, if you believe there's an illusion, there's nothing more you can say after that that makes any logical sense, because even... The unknowing is unknowable. So then that's why those first two have been pretty much rejected by society. You might run into two people that think that, but let's be honest, no 
people really actually believe this. And you'll see the bottom, th the bottom two, three and four there. Number three, that there's eternal matter that always existed. And that belief system is saying there's eternal matter that always existed, and at one time something caused them to boom. All right, but what is the problem with that? What was the cause that caused them to boom? All right, and if it's eternal matter, well, in the argument of this eternal matter, they would say there is no life there. You just had chemicals hitting. And if you ever had a time where there was no life, guess what there will not be now? Life. Because you, don't, you can go from life to no life, but you can't go from no life to life. And so the sheer fact that there must have been some type of life at the beginning or we would not have life now leads us to the only logical conclusion of anything is that there must have been some external power or life source that created everything we have now. Because if we have something now, it had to come from somewhere. Now, the argument is we have not necessarily gotten to the God of the Bible. But what we have to say is, as we look at the Bible, which explains everything we even see. This is where, by faith, as we read the Bible, what the Holy Spirit does is continually to show us that, yes, that is true, and yes, this is true. And as we read it, we start to understand that the Bible gives us the only thing that makes any sense to the world we live in. And so, in closing, I want you to pause here for a moment. So we have gone in Genesis here, and we've gone through day one where God creates and separates light and darkness. Day two, where he separates the water. And now day three, he's creating the land and the water for now to be filled, right? So we have gotten to this point where God has now made everything perfect for what he is about ready to do next. And so what can happen is this. If we're not careful, as we look at creation... We can fall into, into a category that I would say is not biblical. We can look at creation around us and we can say things like this, which I understand what you're saying, but I would say let's, let's be biblical from the very core if we can in all possible ways. Someone say, I went out in creation so I could experience God. And I would say, no, 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 no. Creation, what is the point of creation? What is the point of creation? Think through that. The point, where is creation pointing? To God. The heavens declare the glory of God. So I don't look at the heavens so I can find God. What do the heavens point? To God. So when I'm out in creation, creation's role is to point me to the Creator God, to point me to praising Him, pointing me to glorify Him in everything that it says and done. It points us to declaring this. But here's what happens. And this is what happens to all of us. It happens across the board. I don't know how many times as a dad I've been standing outside with my kids and see something in this world that God has created and said, wow, and totally missed the opportunity. What is it pointing to? God. And we just look and go, wow, that's neat. I mean, on, remember on day three here, he's dividing the water. So what we get is water cascading down on waterfalls and all these other things. I have hiked in miles to get to a waterfall to stand there and go, wow, that's neat. 
and go, does an atheist who hate God say the same thing that I say while I'm standing there? Or does this thing here scream, look to me, I am God and God alone? But we miss it so quickly. I mean, last week we were confronted, which I'm confronted all the time. I'll, I'll be honest, this morning I got up and I saw God watering the earth in a way I was not hoping he was going to water the earth. And I was really tempted to grumble and complain that God was giving life-giving water to us instead of saying, thank you, Lord, for that water that is watering the ground that will help the crops grow, that will help the fish and all the other things survive. And I went, right? But how many times do we sit there and we see incredibly beautiful things all around us and we miss that God is saying, don't look to that, look to me. You are just seeing my handiwork. But yet we so quickly miss these things. When we sit there and we smell the smells of whatever He has created, the flowers, when we sit there and we look at the incredible bounty that God has given us all around us, do we ever stop and say, thank you, Lord, for all of these things? Because if we're not careful, we start to act as if we are just atheists who go to church. Instead of being people who actually realize that God and His handiwork and everything points to Him. And so I would encourage you guys, what's, we're about ready to hit an amazing, beautiful time here in central Wisconsin where the flowers will eventually come out, the trees will eventually bloom, and all of these opportunities around us, it'll eventually warm up. I would encourage you, it is ironic as we've been going through this, since the three years we've been here, we've gotten the privilege of seeing the aurora borealis at least twice since we've been here. In this, it's almost as if God is saying, listen, CBC, wake up. I'm all around you. I'll even be back again in a couple of months to show you my handiwork again with these things. And we have these incredible blessings in front of us. I'm going to share with you a story in closing. So remember how we wrestle, all of us, we wrestle with the promises of God? That is God faithful to actually do what he said he's going to do? Have you ever been rebuked by a comet? Because guess what comets do? They come exactly when they're supposed to come. There's one called Halley's Comet that they can literally tell you it'll be back. And they can tell you when it's going to be back. All right? And God, who is sustaining and holding all things, allows people in science to go, it'll be back around again. I think I might be in my 70s or 80s, but I was, we were discussing this one time. I think I might be in that generation that can see it twice because it came in 86 and 75 years, if I do the math right, it's coming back around again. All right, and so it's one of those that you sit there and you go, if God is faithful to do those things, and let's be honest, in the world of salvific salvation and everything, is a comet just whatever? But he's faithful to bring those things and sustain those things. What about you? Why do we worry about so many things. What will happen tomorrow or what will happen today? God, the Creator, who literally moved tectonic plates into place, putting water exactly where it needs to go, and later in the flood will move water again where it needs to go. So when you drill down as a well, there's water under the ground for you to drink. Do you think He cannot sustain even all of these other things that we so worry about? Do we trust Him? Do we really trust Him? Does nature, in a way, rebuke us to going, do you trust Him? 
Last time I checked, there wasn't a time where I woke up one evening and looked outside and went, oh, the stars forgot to come out today. No God who's faithful, all of these things, they point to a God who will never fail. And what he says, he will do. Now we're going to turn the corner here into seeing just the beauty and the, the character of God by what he has created, but we also have been seeing the character of God by what he has formed. Church, my prayer for us is that we, in our busy days, that we pause and reflect. Because the creation all around us is screaming, God is in control. Trust Him, glorify Him, and Him alone. Let's pray. Dearly Father, forgive us. But dearly Father, awaken in us a passion to see Your beautiful hand and creative hand everywhere we go. Thank You. That is, You are the one who sustains. You are the one who creates. You are the one who has formed. And by Your power, all things are maintained. Dear Holy Father, may we not move off these foundational truths quickly, but may we glorify you as we see the, the farmers planting seeds and we know that the hope that the seed that is in the ground will one day bloom and grow. It is because you are the one that sustains it all. You are the one that gave land with the right soil that is needed to grow. And so, dearly Father, may we glorify your name in all these things. Help us now. In your son's name we pray. Amen.